Good afternoon, good evening. Welcome again to another episode of the Conversation Outspoken and Opinionated. Of course, I am your host, um, Edwin Meyer. Today, we're going to have a conversation around a very important topic. It's something that is very important to me. Um, we're going to be talking about the power of words. And I have an amazing person today who's going to be here with me just diving into this conversation. And I am um, coming on board with me having this conversation is Lisa Stanford, Lisa Ann Marie Stanford. She is a licensed um, social worker in the state of Maryland. She's also the first, she's also a first of first time author, I'm sorry, of the book called My Words of Affirmation. And she's also the founder of a women's organization called Worth Above Rubies. And so, we, um, like I said earlier, we're just going to tackle this conversation is going to focus around words of um, affirmation. Now, you guys realized last week um, I was not here because, you know, election and all that stuff, it was really getting to me. So I needed to take a break. But today we're back and we are going to be talking about words of affirmation, the power of words, the things that we say, the things that we say and what we mean, but the things that we say and how they affect other people. And so, like I said earlier, Lisa is the author of the words of affirmation. It's a book. It's on Amazon. Um, ebook and hard copy. You can get one. So again, you guys who are watching, you can join me as we welcome Lisa. Lisa, you are welcome to the conversation. It's outspoken and opinionated. This is where we say what we say and we say what we mean. Um, so I hope you're ready for this conversation, but I'm so excited to have you here. Um, like I said earlier, you are a licensed social worker. You live in the state of Maryland. You are a first-time author of this amazing book that I love. And also you run a nonprofit or you run a women's organization called Worth Above Rubies. But before we get into all of that, I want to ask you about the stuff that's going on right now. So tell me, where were you when you heard that um, Joe Biden was leading in the election, I believe, yeah. Leading or when he like- Well, um, well we're leading because uh, 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 um, our apparently. current, apparently our current uh, uh, um, uh, uh, head of state is not accepting the fact that he has that won. He won, he's not accepting it yet. Yeah, he is the elect president. So where, so where are you? How did you, how did that happen? I think honestly, I was waking up from a nap because it was just so draining and exhausting that I just had to like take a break from social media, from the news, from my phone. So I think I woke up and looked at my text messages and saw it from one of my friends. I was like, oh, snap, like this is it. But apparently, you know, somebody's not accepting it. So we're just going to leave it there. Good. And so as a black woman, how did you feel? Because, of course, he was running with uh, uh, um, Kamala Harris. So how did you feel as knowing that a couple of years ago we had the first black male president and now we have the first black female president and uh, vice president? I'm sorry. So how did you feel? I felt empowered. I mean, I think it's important for women of color to know that they don't have any limits. And so I think that she definitely, you know, exemplified that. Um, I loved her speech with her saying, you know, I'm the first, but I won't be the last. And so that just kind of set the bar for our daughters, for our young women out there to know that they can achieve anything. So I feel empowered. She's of Jamaican descent. So that obviously was important for my culture. But yeah, I felt empowered. It was beautiful. 
So I like the fact that she played on what she says. She's being the first, you know, female vice, first black female vice president, not the last. And we're talking about words, and those are very, very powerful. Those that statement, that sentence, whatever she said, is very important because there would have there. I can I can imagine there were other black girls and black ladies who were watching, and that probably sparked something in them. Because if we realize 2020 is a year of women, there are more women in Congress than ever before. There are more women stepping out to become um, CEOs and um, head of state and whatever it is that's going on right now in the world, women are stepping up. So let's really dive into this part of our life where we'll call, talk about words. I personally know how important words are. I know that the things that we say there are important things that we say we should mean what we say. But you being the person who wrote a book, I think we'll call you the subject matter expert on words. <laughs> on words. But oh I want to ask you, um, you started this organization called Worth Above Rubies. Mm -hmm. Can you just give us a time, give us a where were you, why you started that, and what were the words that were spoken to you that you let out into the atmosphere to start this organization? Hmm, so I would just say being like a young teenage girl, and you know, EJ, um, very insecure, very timid, um, cared a lot about what people thought about myself. And so when it came to Worth Above Rubies, which actually comes from Proverbs 31, it was really a word that I needed to hear because I didn't feel like I had any self-worth. Like I felt like there was none, you know, I let situations and things that happened kind of define me. And that's an ongoing process to not let that happen. But when I created the organization, I wanted it to be a statement that your worth is above rubies, that you mean something despite what you go through, despite how you feel like this is who you are. And I had to figure that out for myself first before I could, you know, have an organization that talked about it. So that's pretty much where that came from. So when you talk about you accepting it first, let's talk about you, because you are the author of this book, you wrote this book, but let's talk about you. How are you and where are you at right now? Where are you in your journey? As far as like affirmations? And yeah. I would say I'm still learning. Okay. To be honest, I feel like it's not a one-stop shop and you're like, oh yeah, I've arrived. I got it all together. You can't because life has a way of humbling you and life has a way of challenging and kind of qualifying what you think about yourself. So you can say, oh, I'm worth it and I'm this and that. And then the next day, what if you lose your job? Or what if a family member passes away and then you get back into that depression or that slump and you have to rebuild yourself? So where I'm at right now, I would say I'm still learning my self-worth as a 30-year-old woman who's a little bit, you know, more further in her career than where I was when I started war. Um, and just identifying myself a little differently than I was back then. So I'm still learning my self-worth. So um, reading your book, I was really intrigued by a lot of things that you wrote in your book. And um you, uh, we use, uh, I will go back. I will go back. I don't want to go that far. Let me go back. Um, so in your book, right, mm -hmm. you talked about a time in your life when words meant a lot to you. And so, well, so words still mean a lot to you. 
But you talked about a time in your life where there were some negative words that were spoken into your life that you held onto. Mm -hmm. You took negative words and you saw yourself as those words. So um, can you just expand on that? Because you did write it in the book, but you know, what, how do we get as human beings, how are we connected to certain things that is even negative? I think it's just a law of attraction, um, especially being a social worker. I think it's definitely true. And some of the theories that like, you know, how you think is how you're going to feel about mm -hmm. yourself. And that's how you're going to have, that's the outlook that you'll have in life. Um, and just like the word of God says, as a man think it, so is he. So it's like getting those words day in and day out when I was younger that weren't very encouraging, that weren't very nice all the time. It definitely made me have a negative outlook on life, period. And I still struggle with that, like just not thinking about things negatively all the time because, I mean, you're a child, so you're trained, like it's training ground. So I was trained to think a certain way and you're products of your environment. So it was just a lot to unlearn and relearn. So in the book, you talk about being referred to as the B word. Mm hmm and so um you lived your life or you carry on after that as the b word right and so um i know for me the definition of a bitch is a female dog <laughs> so i don't right. think people really understand that i don't think people understand what they're telling their kids or what they're telling their friends and stuff like that so can you imagine like i don't know if you, i just when i said this i don't know if you just picture that but you walked around considering yourself as a female dog. And so how did that affect you? I mean, I was I was a broken child to just keep it 100. Like it it hurt, you know, I'm a kid. So I'm thinking like I'm learning, I'm growing and I've been called the B word, been called, you know, dumb or stupid. And I get like emotions make you say things and, you know, but when it's continuous or when there's a lack of acceptance or acknowledgement of like you hurting the other person, that's where I have the issue. Um, and because I was a child and because certain people maybe didn't know better to do better at that time, I didn't know how to defend myself. And no. that's how I was in elementary school, middle school, you say something to me, I really didn't know how to like stand up for myself or fight back. So I didn't learn how to do that until I was an adult. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to take what anybody else got to say. I'm about to clap back because I'm, I've heard it so much. I don't need to hear what you got to say. So it then became my weapon to use words to get you if I needed to, which wasn't a good thing because I was only, you know, I'm just repeating what I learned. So, you know, we have a lot of parents and we have a lot of people who, you know, they do adopt kids or they are foster parents or whoever they are. And this is something that a lot of people do. They love to tell kids that they're stupid. You're dumb. You're good for nothing. You amount to nothing. You are this. You are that. You are the other. And we forget to realize that kids hold onto those words. Mm -hmm. And so you find these kids who were called dumb, stupid, they turned into dumb, stupid, good for nothing adults. Mm -hmm. And these are the men and women that we interact with. 
But I want to go. So now I'm gonna uh, uh, we're gonna have the real conversation because before we're we're just you know I was just asking you questions. You know. Yeah, I was just testing you to see where you at. But I want us to have a real. I really want to talk about these uh, um, these things that are said to us that really affect us. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I want to talk about is you being a young woman. How did you feel when women that you look up to made you feel inferior of them? Like in general? In general. In general. I don't um, think specific. I feel like it just, okay, me personally, how I felt was obviously, I mean, inferior. It's intimidating to have someone like talk down to you and not empower you to be, you know, strong within yourself. Um, And I also think it just creates strife amongst women. Like we can't applaud each other at times. I feel like we can't say, girl, you did that, you know, or keep doing this or keep doing that. We always have to compare or criticize each other. So when somebody does that, that I look up to them, it's hurtful because I feel like then you're not a safe place for me that I thought you were. You know, like, I don't trust you anymore to speak into my life because you kind of, like, crack me internally, if that makes sense. So. Okay, so it's, you wrote this book. And in this book, you talk about a lot of personal things that affected you. And then you also talked about, you know, you gave us guide for us to follow. So I want to really ask you about the 30-day challenge. Mm -hmm. You wrote this book basically from that 30-day challenge. Mm -hmm. That's my understanding. You wrote a book on the 30-day challenge. I really want to talk to you about the 30-day challenge. And one of the things that I really want to go over with you is you talked about having, um, you talk about, there's a moment in the book where you, it was like, for me, it was a real moment because we go way back and you brought things back to me that I was like, whew, okay. You talked about a moment where you were pregnant Mm -hmm. and you didn't go into full term. Right. And there were things, there were obstacles and there were things around that environment Mm -hmm. that really, really spoke to you in that moment. And so I don't know if you can address that, but I just want for you, for us who are watching, for us, for you to give us Walk us through that process because I don't think some people understand what a woman go through when she deals with that kind of tragedy. Man, okay, so the pregnancy, or you're talking about what happened at the hospital because you were there. Yeah, I was there. I'm sorry. I just left the, the whole thing, guys. This is what happened when I get through personal <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but I know um, the whole thing. Finding out, dealing with it, mm-hmm. and then you accept it, mm-hmm. but then it's taken away. Um, I would say that it was a very traumatic experience for me. Um, getting pregnant, I wasn't in a very solid relationship. Um, and then leader at church, so that was embarrassing. so I had to sit down from leadership I had to you know address my leaders my pastors which was 
embarrassing because I almost felt like in some ways, hmm, I wouldn't say people expected this out of me, but I felt like I just disappointed them again, you know, because I was already, you know, a little, Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I had my attitude and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So I felt like I disappointed people. And because my identity was based off of what people thought of me or like man's approval, it was just like a crack. Like, you're not good enough. You you know, now look what you did. Like those thoughts kept swirling in my mind. And then when I decided to keep the pregnancy, I remember we had a conversation and you were like, you know, you can do this. I don't want you to think of any other option. I remember that because at that moment I was like, I could hide this and like, you know, just terminate the pregnancy if I choose to but you you definitely told me what was the right thing to do and I went through with it and so accepting the pregnancy was in a whole a whole nother thing because now I have to think about somebody other than myself and now I'm introduced to the beginning of motherhood and I began mm-hmm. to like it you know like I wanted this child despite what was going on in the relationship at the time despite what people thought so finally, like I had a reason to stop caring about what people thought, even though yeah. that was the same thing that trapped me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Then to find out, once I accept it, like finally say, I'm going to do this, I lose the baby. And that for, right there, it was shame. It was embarrassing to now go back to the same people you told that you were pregnant to say, I have nothing to give at this point, that my body couldn't make it is what I'm thinking at that time, which then, of course, stemmed or just uprooted the initial thoughts during childhood of you're not good enough. You can't keep a child. You ain't going to have no more kids. You know, like just all these thoughts going and going. But these thoughts weren't new they were just in a new territory. Mm-hmm. So it's important to like, like remember where the word came from because I think it sometimes repeats itself in these situations. And had I been more self-esteem, like had a higher self-esteem, I probably would have been able to, yes, grieve and go through that traumatic event, but I probably would have felt a little bit better about myself, you know? So it was tough. It was definitely tough. So your 30-day challenge, Mm -hmm. your first word was, even in the ugly times, I am beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I started off with that question, because I wanted to give context to the first word. Because I think in that time, as a woman, I don't know how you, I don't know if you felt any worth. No, none. I mean, you're a woman. So if there's anything that, not saying that's the only thing, but if there's one thing that most most women, you know, strive to do is to have a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it comes by accident, it's like that's what we were made to do. So the fact that you couldn't, I didn't feel any worth in that. So now I'm good. Okay, so you said something that I want us to really look at. You said as a woman, mm-hmm. you were made to do some certain things. Mm-hmm. And so I want us to really tackle that because funny thing, I had a conversation with a female today and we're talking about, you know, how words are important, but then society has created these words. 
society has told us that women are supposed to have kids and women are supposed to get married, women are supposed to do these things. But then what happens to a woman who does not want to have kids and don't want to get married and want to pursue her career? So is she still considered beautiful? Of course. You can't be defined by what society sets up for you. I'm just saying for me in that moment, I didn't feel worth it because I felt with that pressure to your point, mm -hmm. I felt like this is one of the things I'm supposed to do. Why can't, why didn't it happen? So for you who have gone through that situation, we're talking about words right now. What can you say to a young woman or girl or female who might have gone through that situation, but it's not at the place where you're at right now, where you are comfortable with yourself and you can deal with that. And you can even talk about it and be okay. Um, I would tell that person, it's okay. Like, I don't think I felt okay or got that um, as much as I should have when I was going through that. So I would tell them it's okay. It's not your fault. And you are not you know, you're not defined by this. Like a loss can't define you. Um, but I would be realistic with how that person might feel because feelings, yeah, they aren't facts, but they are definitely convincing. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely want to, you know, talk that through with yeah. that person. But just make sure they know that it's okay and this shall not define you. Definitely. And so... um I know we're sure on the surface, but I just wanted to get some context about the book, your life, why you wrote the book, so people can understand exactly why we're doing this. Yeah. And so um, um, there are a lot of words. There are a lot of things that people say to each other. There are a lot of things that we do say to ourselves that carry us, that have helped us over the couple of years or helped us in our entire life. And so I want us to really talk about um, words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. words words that affirm us because i think that's what people don't know what the like words of affirmation is those words that that will that affirm us that makes us feel good that makes us you know that makes us shine bright like a diamond makes us feel good about ourselves and all those good things that people mm -hmm. do say about us but then we forget to understand that we also are vessels that can either break or make and so in your book you reference a lot and lot and lot of Bible verses. Mm -hmm. There are so many Bible verses that you talked about in your book. You connected. You're laughing, but you it said the way you said it. you said reading the Bible, but <laughs> that was shady. Shady. But you reference Isaiah 40 verses 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount upon with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Mm -hmm. That is a very interesting Bible verse. That is a very powerful, those are very powerful words. People don't, I don't think a lot of people take into consideration if you read this. I know for me, this is very important because it's basically talking about waiting on the Lord. Yeah. And waiting on the Lord is a powerful time. Oh, it's yeah. a powerful statement. It's a powerful um, intimacy 
that's my thing. Intimacy with God is called intimacy because this is when you give God that time to where to work in you. And so you put that verse in this book, but you also connected it to your, um, I think it's the fourth. Let me make sure. Fourth word. Mm -hmm. It's the fourth word where you said trust the process. Mm -hmm. Let time do its thing. Mm -hmm. Why did you write that word of affirmation? Trust the process and let time do its thing. That affirmation relates to so many areas, but one of the examples I used in that chapter was about war because war was an idea for so many years, but it didn't happen until like, like after the baby and my father passed, like after all that. So I think trusting the process is important because as you're waiting, it's like a grooming period. And like you said, it's time for you to really work on yourself with God. So it's not easy by any means. You do have to be careful what you're affirming yourself with during that waiting process because you can get easily discouraged and be like, bump that, I'm done, like, I don't want this, you know, beat yourself up, whatever it might be. But as you wait, your strength is renewed and then you get to see the full circle. You know, me yep. losing a baby, I learned years later that I was working on a, a maternal child health unit. It, it actually birthed a huge passion of mine to work with women and babies. And then it also led to war because I didn't have worth feeling. I didn't, I felt like I didn't have worth losing my baby to now producing an organization. So it's like when you allow time to do its thing, to heal, give you perspective, you know, and let things come full circle, you can see what God maybe intended in the beginning. And so you just talk about war. So maybe we might just dive into war a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. It's called Worth Above Ruiz is mm -hmm. the organization that you founded um, a couple of years ago. And you talked about it in your book. Well, I believe it was 2006 when you started ha 2000, when you started thinking oh, about the, yeah. Yeah, you started thinking about it in 2006, but you really put it into action in 2008. And I say this because um, I'm not trying to put light on anything of me, but years ago mm -hmm. i i'm gonna actually name names because mm -hmm. one of the person is my family member um pastor billy bimba mm -hmm. prophet moses um every pastor every minister that ever came into the church the local church that we went to told me that you are going to speak to the nations and you're going to talk to people and i was like i wouldn't i do not want to be a pastor but they told me that all the time when this idea came to me and when I started this platform mm -hmm. and there was a day where I was a show, I forgot what show it was, but after the show, within four hours, it had reached 4.3 thousand people. Wow. I heard literally, I heard Billy Bima in my ear. You are going to reach the world. Like I heard Pastor Bima's voice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is what they were talking about. Yeah, this is what that's what when you talked about in your book, it's like trust the process. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I was just like, Oh, I would not pass that. Oh, no, I can deal with these people. People <laughs> calling you in the night, like I was like, right. No, mm -hmm. but I realized this is what God was talking about when He said, Your voice is going to reach nations, and so mm -hmm. you went through a process you went through a traumatic experience mm -hmm. where you lost something dear to you you lost a part of you mm -hmm. and now you have the opportunity where you work in maternal health 
you can give these women this assistance because guess what? You've dealt with it. You understand it. You have the experience of this whole process. And mm -hmm. so I really like what you said when you said, you know, uh, in this word, because that was my word. I just want to let you know. When I read the Bible, that I was, like, was okay, yours. Word. That was my first <laughs> word. I took that word. I was like, this is you mine. Took it. I own it. I own it. Trust the process, the timing, and everything. And mm -hmm. so I really want to, for us to go down that path because, um, Mare on the wall. Mm -hmm. There are ugly times. I just, I'm now I lose it. But mare on the wall, I think you talk about when there are ugly times. Okay, mare on the wall. For what? that chapter? For I the process? I can only okay. 55. Mm -hmm. And you said mare on the wall. What are some ugly times you have had that would, that would, that, what? Wow. Mm. The mirror on the wall. What are some ugly times you've had, and what would you say to yourself about what you, or what would? You can't read. I can't read. What are some ugly times you've had, and what would you about three years ago say to yourself, and what would the you now say today? Yeah. <laughs> Thank Don't you. Don't be misquoting my bag. Okay. I'm just so, kidding. I can actually just read, get the ebook, and then we can do that. But yeah, you talk about, yeah, so that was, that's something that I know for me, I looked at and I remember like going back on it and being like, okay, so what was, when I said Mary on the wall, you know, three years ago, what are the things that I've gone through? And I know I've gone through a lot of stuff that for me, it was deep. For some people that might say it's not that deep, move on, get over it. But when you, what do you say to yourself now, looking back three years ago? I'm asking you a question. Oh, I thought you were like, continue. No. Um, oh, man, I would say, girl, you strong. You got this. Like, you can do anything you put your mind to. Like, if I if I would have known that I would have been in this position now three years ago, I probably wouldn't have believed it. Because mm -hmm. um, that's just not where my mindset was at at the time. So I think it's important to always do that reflection like dang where was i a couple years ago what did i say then versus what i say now so that's what i would say so let's talk about our words and our feelings i think sometimes we put things out in the atmosphere that aren't how we feel at them where it's actually how we feel at that moment we say things and now with the with it now with the opportunity of social media and all these things people can just say whatever they want to say yeah but you, uh, um, it's on page 85, beginning is number two. You said that remembering feelings are not facts. Sure, you may feel stagnant, but are you really? As humans, we can be so hard on ourselves, but look back and count the success you have had along the way. You really may not be stagnant, but perhaps in transition. I had to learn to discern where I was along the journey versus trying to figure out what was next on the journey. And so you didn't tell us the journey. So I just want to ask you, what journey were you talking about? I was talking about the journey period. I mean, the journey of my organization, the journey of a career, dating, like you were so constantly, I feel like social media, especially for millennials, we're constantly thinking about pressure to think about what's next. Okay. 
So I did this. What I have to do next? What I have to, you know, and it's like, relax. Like it's all going to work itself out. You can't force it. You can't rush the journey. You have to just let it be. Of course you do practical things. Okay. You know, like you need, if you need to go to school, you go to school. If you need to go to therapy, you go to therapy. Yeah. If you need to, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) If you need to do whatever, wake up, obviously you've got to go to work. Like those Mm -hmm. types of things. Yes, you still do. But to say that we have control of the future and what's next is not possible because we don't. So worrying our brain about that and trying to predict the journey before it happens is going to drive you crazy. So you talked about a part in your book is one of your words is word number five. Okay. I would do my part. Oh, this not and let mind. and let God do His. It's Ooh. hard, and I say it's hard. And this is my personal opinion. Yeah. It's hard for some of us who are. I don't even. I can't even find the word. It's like I'm trying to be Controlling? so. Don't do that. It's not for us who are controlling. I mean, for us, for us who have some sort of control, who love to be in control about our, especially our lives. Like I would say, I had my life pat down. I knew what I needed to do. I knew at what age I would have what. I would do this. I did everything, and then God smacked the daylight out of me, and I turned three six and be like, what? Yeah. But I, you wrote that in your book. And I would expect that you have come to that place in your life where you have you have been able to do your part and let God do his part. So how, can you help us? Can you talk to us about that? Can you can you walk us through that, especially for some of us who are here? So uh, it's funny because somebody said then their fiance was just talking about that. That's Hazara Kawab. <laughs> uh, yep. She said building instead of reaching a peak. I understand. Yes. And so, yeah, how can you assist us in that right now? Like, well, it's so in that chat, that's my favorite word, like how you own trust the process. I own this because I'm a control freak as well. And I like things planned out to the T. So this was a tough one for me. Um, I talk about a health issue that I had where I did I didn't have control over. So that definitely allowed me to sit down and be humble. <laughs> but I think that, you know, God sometimes, like I said in the chapter, is that one group member who we think ain't doing nothing, but he is doing a lot in the background. And I feel like if we want all the information up front, it's almost like we're trying to play God in a way because only he is, you know, omnipotent, all-knowing, everywhere. So if you are always trying to figure out what's next, what's going to happen, I got to do this, I got to have a plan, got to be in control, you're almost trying to like, resume the position of God and you're not. Ooh, say that, say that again. <laughs> you're almost trying to resume the position of God and you're not. Mm. Because then if we keep doing that, where does he have room to reign and be glorified and take control? Like you're you're then getting in the way with your own agenda. And literally his thoughts are not ours. His ways oh. are not ours. So just like how you were rejecting the word of your voice is going to reach many because you were thinking it's pastor, pastor. We were, we were so like one track minded at that time that this is what we have to do to reach that goal. Whereas God is like, nah, there's so many ways I can get you there, you know, but you have to allow him to do that. And that's where that chapter um, that's what that chapter touches on. Now, how do I work on that? Mm-hmm. I think I write things down that I want to see happen, but I definitely spend time with praying over it. 
if it's not if it's not your will, don't let it happen. That's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna lie, because we want it to be our will. We want like we want it to go our way. Why not? Yeah. Yes. But <laughs> why are you giving me the brains for me to like, think? I mean, why yeah. you give me the wisdom if it ain't gonna happen the way I want it to happen? Exactly. But then we don't lean on him and we don't lean on his wisdom. So. It's an ongoing process. Just because I wrote this book don't mean that I'm not still walking these things. Okay. I, I'm still looking back at chapters like, <laughs> like, am I living that? You know, which I'm trying to daily. So that's just my two cents on that. Yeah. And yes, it's, um, I think letting, well, I say it this way, I say letting go and let God. That's mm -hmm. my thing. And there was actually a book. I forgot who wrote that book, but I know the title is called Letting Go and Let God. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important because as Christians, mm -hmm. I think that's something that we need to understand that God is the author and the finisher of our life. Yeah. He creates everything in his own timing. And I think in the book, you talk about the words, how words is important when you talked about just imagine God said, let there be light mm -hmm. and light came. And so I think sometimes we forget to really put that in perspective of our lives. Whereas it's that we speak things into existence. We speak negativity into existence. And so it's like I, two weeks ago, I had um, two ladies on the show where we really talk about self-care and self-love and how we protect our energy and we protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I know that's something, this is something that I do too. I protect my space when it comes to what I say, what people say to me, what people say to my child. Yeah, it's very, very important. I don't let people, he's in an environment where he tells me somebody said this to him, we're getting out of there. Yeah, because be. you can't, if you can't change people, you got to change people. Mm. Oh, yeah, a word. <laughs> if you can't change people, you got to word. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And so, um, in the book, I'm gonna go back to a specific space. Um, I'm gonna steal words from my friend. You had a legitimate need, but you use illegitimate means to meet those needs. I hope you know where I'm going. I think so, yeah. Okay. So you talked about in a book where, you know, you needed, you really enjoyed the company mm -hmm. of men because it filled a gap for you because there are things that they told you that made you feel good about yourself. Right. And so we probably have a lot of men and a lot of women out there mm -hmm. who they do the same thing. We all like I was that was one time in my life what I that was that was it. It's like you know you get that high, you do what you got to do, and you move on because it made you feel good. Because the people you want this to come from, they're not getting it from you. So how can we navigate that? How are you able to leave that space to where you at right now? And I consider you as a whole person. Because I think you've been, you've you've done the work and now you're who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, recognizing that it's temporary. Like those fixes, it feels good in the moment, but then when it's done, it's either you're going to go back for more, like an addiction almost, or mm -hmm. you're going to finally say, "I want to be settled, no matter what comes or goes my way." Yeah. Uh, because if you're dependent on somebody else to validate you it's always going to change. Um, their affirmation can be great one day and then it can be really poor the next day. And so if you're just going to allow your soul to wax and wane with what people say 
or how you feel, like you're you're never really going to be happy or whole. And I can say never because life already has its ups and downs. So if you're depending on that little, you know, intimate moment with somebody to feel good. Okay, so what happens when you don't have that? You just feel low, you know, if you're waiting for a friend to always cheer you on, to always share your posts when you have a good a new idea or you're waiting for everybody to say, "Great job, you did that." Or you're constantly looking at how many people are liking your pictures on Instagram. If you if that's all you have, it eventually fades away, then you're just you're going to be broken. Me and my friend were talking about this. Like she was saying, after you have your wedding, nobody look at your stuff anymore. Like you were, you know, when you get married and stuff, when you have a big life event, people are looking at your stuff. <laughs> They're liking it, commenting. Like you feel good. Like it pumps you up. Girl, you got 200 after, that, <laughs> after that, why well, only got 50 likes? It's, it's not about you, boo. We've moved on to the next person that has a huge life event. So if you are constantly looking for that affirmation in these temporary places then you're going to be temporarily whole and you said that and i just want us to focus on something because i think a lot of people don't realize that in every phase of your life you evolve you change and people see you differently yeah so when you're single you are called lisa stanford mm -hmm. when you get married you are mr brown's wife lisa stanford brown Mm -hmm. when you have a child now you become oh you're jason's mom so in every and then when you're jason mom nobody got time for you now we'll focus it on jason mm -hmm. when you become when you are mr brown's wife it's you and mr brown together so some of that shine that you used to have all the time reflects on mr mr brown so i think we are looking for love and we're looking for affirmation in the wrong in the place. wrong places because that thing of i tell you and i say this story all the time so it was somewhere and my friend told me this where there were a couple of people who you know they had posted a picture and they didn't even get the likes that they wanted it really affected them and when i heard that one why they're like yeah and so you know what they did so that picture that they post and people didn't like it, they put it in a story. And when they put it in a the story, they went to see how many people view it. So like, oh, so you view my pic, my story, but you didn't like my picture. And I just, I'm like, you take all that energy to focus on stuff where I can just look at my phone and just where it doesn't mean anything to me. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important because I want us to go into the word seven okay word seven where you talk about wherever i go there i am mm -hmm. so i have so, to love myself first i have to love myself first mm -hmm. and i like that because mm -hmm. i'm gonna say this and people people might not like me after i say this but i think for christians mm -hmm. this is a very hard affirmation to accept for people to accept of you because most often when you tend to love yourself first, people tend to categorize you as selfish. People tend to tell you, oh, you never like to be a part of things because you always take time for yourself first. And so you label as selfish. So you talked about this where you give us, um, you said that, first of all, you said that word came to you. Somebody else said that to you. No, this one? 
Uh, you said an information was spoken to me by someone else. No, are you sure? This oh, I'm wrong chapter, sorry. Where? Yes, yes. Okay. And so when you first heard that as dancer in the church, um, leader in the church, Lisa, where you at? Go in, you're doing all of this. How did you feel when you first heard that, that you needed to put yourself first? Um, that was uncommon ground for me. Like, and like to the social media point, I was like that at some point too, because it was just like this people high. Mm-hmm. So to put myself first was unknown. Um, in my friendships, I'm like, I always want to be there. Got to do this, got to do that. Like I wrote in that chapter, you know, having mentees, having mentors, like I'm always behind somebody. Oh, you're the dancer, this and that. But when, you know, I had to sit down from dance ministry, I lost all that. Mm-hmm. There was no, oh, Lisa, the worshiper is awesome. Nope. All that praise went away. And I don't even think it ever came back. Not that I was looking for it, but it never really came back because when life marks you, it's like, then people start to look at you like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, um, I can relate. Okay. <laughs> I can so, relate. I had to, um, whether I got vindication or not, which I believe I did just for me proving to myself that I can make it out of whatever, not based off of what other people think. Um, I had to put myself first. I had to sit at home by myself on purpose sometimes to just get used to my own company. Cause I think in that chapter, I also write that you can be so occupied with everybody else's company, but you're sick of your own company. You don't like your own company. And that's a terrible place to be in because when everything is gone, when all the praises, the likes, the this, that, the text messages, like all that goes away, it's just you. You can have a partner, you can have a fiance or a significant other or whatever the case is, but God forbid, what if something happens to them? You know, then what? Parents talk about all the time when their kids leave the house, the empty nest mm-hmm. season, and they they struggle because they're like, dang, like who am I without my kids? So I think it happens through every stage and you have to get to know yourself. So I went to the mall by myself. I started learning my fashion style by myself. What do I really like? All my friends like this scent, but what does Lisa really like? You know, do I like this show. All my friends laugh at me because I like it. I don't care. I like the show, you know? I just really had to get to a place where it's okay to be Lisa. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I, I wasn't okay with that at first. Yeah. And I like that because you say you wasn't okay with it. And I think I can relate to that. Like I said, because I know there are a lot of things in my life that I wasn't okay with. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first accepted myself and said, you know what? These are my flaws. These are my issues. This is me. This is going to be my issue. But how can I rise up from it being my flaws to accept it? Because I realized that the thing that people say about you that affects you negatively is actually, a, I don't know how to say it, but it's like it's a stronghold on you. Mm-hmm. It's like when somebody say, you know what, uh, it's like, some, for example, somebody say, you know, uh, 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 um, John Brown, John Brown is dirty. Mm-hmm. Well, John Brown realized that, okay, I am dirty and I need to clean myself. That doesn't become a stronghold anymore. John Brown doesn't get upset anymore when people say he's dirty because guess what? John Brown has said and said, yes, I am dirty, but guess what? I'm working towards so I can be clean. 
Right. And so I like the fact where you also talked about the fact where, you know, there were places that you didn't care about. Like, you know, like for us who were, like I would say, I always like to put myself out there. I was a leader in the church. I was in, I remember, you know, when we have a great praise and worship and people, I mean, it's like people are in the yeah. spirit and God is moving. Mm -hmm. Somebody come to you and say, you know what, man, I just like your charisma on stage, the way you sing. Because I'm, like you can see, I talk with my hands. So I sing like that. Everything about me is everything that I do, I put my whole into it. So I remember doing those things. And then when it all went away, Mm -hmm. And I can remember going to those same environments where the people who used to say those things about you just look at you and walk the other way. It's like a, it's like death. It's like, it's, it's, it's like death. It's like, you know, it was that part of your life that you have lost all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And now you have to accept the fact that all those things that made you happy, that people said to you, those words of affirmation, those words of encouragement, that people say, oh, you sing so great because you're not singing no more. So nobody's not going to say that to you. You're not in all those ministries anymore. So nobody's not going to say that to you. And you really, really have to sit back. I remember the first New Year's Eve that I did not go to watch night. I thought I was going to die. But I told myself, I said, for you to go through this process, you have to learn how to be by yourself. Yeah. And so that was my first thing. I said, okay, I will not go to New Year's Eve service. I will stay home and bring in the new year with myself because that's what I need to learn. And I learned that process and I learned everything, not having to be at every event and be at everybody's wedding and be at everybody baby shower and all that stuff. I stopped all of that because I was like, you don't even like to hang out with yourself because you're always going to be at somebody else's house. What happened? Why are you paying more your share when you can stay here? And so I think when, that's what we, when we talk about the wholeness, you get to that place where you like, like you said, Lisa liked this show. I love reality TV. I am proud to say I support reality TV 100%. Before I couldn't because I it was shameful. I was like, why do you like reality TV? They are cursing, they are screaming, but sometimes they're not cursing and screaming. Mm -hmm. There are people actual life because I love memoirs. I'll follow people's lives. So reality TV is another, I would say it's another spectrum of memoir. Like I'm the guy who will watch interviews, people interview, I read people's memoirs. You can see behind me, there is a famous one, Becoming, mm -hmm. it's right there. If you look on my shelves, I have a lot of memoirs. That's me. So, you know, I think when you get to that place where you accept yourself for who you are and you just love you, like it's, it's, it's a different feeling. Like I don't know if you never had that feeling before. It's a different feeling when you can just love on yourself. And I ain't talking about no nasty stuff or anything. Because you know, when talking about, oh, love on yourself, people oh, say their brain. Oh, yeah. Lord. But I'm talking about just going on a, going for dinner. You. Yeah. Loving me, the moment where I can get in my car, like my if you ask, you already know my car is my sanctuary. You don't mm -hmm. eat in my car, you don't do none of that stuff in my car. My car is always clean because that is my area. That is where I can scream and shout and have my Holy Ghost moment and do all my stuff and pray and talk to myself and do all that stuff. It's because I am so comfortable with me. I've accepted me. 
everything about me, I'm like, and this is me. And God did not make no mistake. Mm. He made no mistake. He made me in his likeness and in his image. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I have this thing on my word. I said, that man came down to earth to die for, do you know what I mean for somebody to die for you and like put yourself in that shoe? So why am I going to worry about what people say about me? Why? Why should I do that? Okay, I just went on a total tangent. Okay. I'm going to come back. Come back. Want, come. Want to preach okay. Yeah, I want to preach. I told you, this that people say that. But yeah, but I really, uh, 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 I think that's a powerful uh, 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 um, affirmation where you say that wherever I go, there I am, so I have to love myself. It's very, very important. I think a lot of people don't love themselves. Yeah. And this word that you said, you is somewhere in your book where you, I don't know if you said it or maybe I say it all the time. It's like the way you give yourself to people is how people are going to take you. Yeah. And so if you love yourself, people are going to be like, oh, okay. Because that's how even people progress in relationships. Mm-hmm. When you love yourself, you ain't going to take no crap for nobody. I'm like, hold up. Okay, we don't do that in, in this space. <laughs> we, don't accept we don't do that in this space. Yeah, this space, we don't do that. Yeah, mm-mm, we ain't going to do that. Not over here, please. Yeah, not over here. No goes on. You're going to tell the people who send you, you ain't see me. <laughs> but yeah, and I think, and I, uh, we, uh, 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 I can change my thoughts, change my life, then change the world. Yeah. Lisa, I want you really, really, really to really dive into that because that Ooh, is deep. That's, that's the um yeah, so that's word number eight. That yeah. one is about family patterns. Okay. And as you read, like I have to work on, and I say I have to because it's ongoing mm-hmm. to change patterns that I grew up with it's hard to break like generational strongholds mm-hmm. and stuff that have grown up as like trees in you it's hard to cut down and so I in that I learned especially through my dad's death how he changed like within the last year of his, of him living you know he got saved got baptized completely turned his life around to Christ after how many 60 something years of you know not going to church with my life. mom Right. But at the last minute, he was able to change that and he was able to change his thinking and change his outlook on the cancer. And it did change his world, you know, hoping and believing that he is, you know, with God. So for me, I have to start by changing what's up here in order to change what's in here in my heart so that I can change my world so that I don't tell my kids things that were told to me. Mm-hmm. So that I don't repeat the same mistakes in relationships so that, you know what I'm saying? I don't get tripped up like that is the that's why it's last, because it's the biggest affirmation. You can have any theory, go to school, any accolades, rewards, likes. But if you don't change yourself, there's no way you're going to have an impact on your world. Mm-hmm. So I think it's internal work that you have to constantly do and nobody to be keep it real like who wants to like continue to do work on themselves it's like annoying work sometimes because you like dog I thought I handled this already but you have to constantly go back in and work on yourself in order to produce different outcomes that's it and you talked about changing the world and you know sometimes when we talk about changing the world we talk about you being on this planet to change the world 
Mm-hmm. And I would tell people the greatest world changer of mine is my aunt. And she passed away a couple of years ago. Nancy Topa was the greatest world changer. Because I saw that lady move from 100 to zero. But she was firm in the things of God. Nothing. She never one day felt that, I don't even know how to put it, that there was less of God because she had to go through this process. She had to go through this. And at the end of the day, I remember the last conversation we had when she could speak, she's like, this is what God wants. And I look at that woman in the outlet. These people are so brainwashed. You know, I was like so intellectual. I'm like, they're so brainwashed that you're not going to do this. You're not going to do this. And she's like, no, you are praying for me to be healed. And what happens is the only way for, what, what if the only way for me to be healed is not to be on this earth? And I looked at that woman and I cried like a baby like I cried because it was like she telling me this made me understand that you don't have to be on this earth to be a world because she changed my she changed my mind she changed my heart she changed everything about me I looked at Christianity at a different way I looked at God as a different person I accepted things in my life that was totally different it was just it was just like a ah-ah moment that Oprah can say it was like a whole our, our moment because she did not see God any less mm-hmm. because what she was going through. And I was like, that is like a thing that has stayed with me for life. It changed my life. And I know that what she said to me, with it because it's part of my life, I know it will change my world in the future, whatever it is and stuff like that. And so uh, on this part of way, this last, I think this last word, you went into some things. You gave us some great information that I think a lot of us should always understand that how important words are to us. Uh, Precious Taylor said, it's such a balance. For some people, words of affirmation, affirmation is the love language. The danger is if you're always searching for it from others versus internal, then that's the problem. I was going to say something about that. So, yes, words of affirmation is important. But and I think I touched on this in the beginning where I talked about just words in general. Mm -hmm. You can't get stuck there, though. You know, it's good to have words of affirmation. It can be somebody's love language. Um, but that doesn't mean you get stuck there, you know, because you may not always have that affirmation. Mm-hmm. What then, you know, it goes back into what you were saying about caring about what people think all the time. Yeah. So I think we're referring to just the internal work. And I think the only word or words of affirmation that will stick and truly bear good fruit is the word of God, because yes, quotes and all that. And my affirmations I put are definitely great, but I do find that they'll stay they'll still stay temporarily if you don't continue to fill yourself up with, with more permanent things. Words of affirmation is my love language, but that doesn't mean that the person I'm with is going to always say, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. You did such a great job. Just such, like, that's annoying. And also, <laughs> <laughs> 
it gets exhausting for the other person. So I still, even though it's my love language and I want that, right? I still have to be affirmed in my core because what if my partner has a bad day and I'm feeling all good and he doesn't say anything? Then what I'm going to go off, you know? So you can't, it, it is a balance. Like I agree with that a hundred percent. And I said, and I do agree with Precious also because I look at the fact where uh, my one of my major love language is gifts. For me, it's not, like I tell people, and I tell people, I say it's not the gift. It's the it's the process. It's the thought. It's the fact that you went on a trip and you saw a pen and you were like, oh, you will like this pen. And you buy this pen and bring it for me. It's not the pen. It's the fact that on your trip, you were thinking about me. And so, you, but, but guess what? If you go on a trip and you don't buy me a pen, I ain't gonna trip. Because guess what? I can still go and buy me what I want. Right. I like it. I appreciate it. But because you don't do it for me, it doesn't mean that I'm all stuck onto it. I ain't say you shouldn't do it. You should do it sometimes. I ain't say don't give me no gifts. I say don't give me no gifts. Christmas coming. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, but you know, I think like I like what Precious said, and you were saying it's like people are so stuck on this. Like, oh, you only say you love me, or you only say this, and so they're so stuck on all these things. And my, it's like I guess what kind of is why people say no. My daddy didn't love me, and then they tell me they love me, so I don't know how to say love me. Okay, now say love me. Let's start saying them each other. Like, how can we start break this barrier so we can help each other? Mm-hmm. But I think um, Words of Affirmation, it's it's a great book. And I would say this to people. I'm going to put it up. Uh, yeah, we got it up here. She got her copy. I got my copy. If you don't have one, it is every, it's on Amazon. We're t- asking you guys if you can. It's called The Words of Affirmation. It's on Amazon. There's also an ebook that I'm going to buy and have it in my car so I can be listening to it. Is that in your voice? No, it's not in my voice. Why not? How can I we know. work on that? Be your voice. I need to work on that. Yeah, we can talk about that off air. Okay. Yeah, because we need it in your voice. Because I tell people, if you never uh, read the book, um, Mother of Black Hollywood, <laughs> by Jennifer Lewis, you need to hear it in ebook. It's in her voice. It oh, wow. is hilarious. But like I said, I like more memoirs, so you can see Jennifer Lewis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this was a great conversation, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Um, I know I didn't mm-hmm. see it earlier, but I want people to know. Lisa is actually my first child. If people didn't know that, she's the first. Lisa, I've known Lisa since she was, what, 15? Yeah. 14? Like, around that time. And Lisa has grown into such an amazing young lady. Um, I say this all the time from not being able to defend herself to <laughs> you better be careful because she's going to knock you out. Basically, that's what happened. But I've known her so many. I've known her over a long period. We've been in each other's lives for a very long time. We've been there in our lows and our highs. We celebrated graduations. We celebrated weddings. We celebrated birthdays. We celebrated everything together she's always been a part of my life and so i really really i'm like this is what they say i'm a proud dad so i would say this at least i can i'm a proud dad when she did this 
I was a proud dad when she got the bachelor's. I was a proud dad when she got the master's and she did this and all these great things that she's doing. So Lisa, I want to say thank you for coming on to the conversation Outspoken and Opinionated. It was a good time with you. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope we can take this to another level. Um, guys, those, for those who are watching, this was the conversation Outspoken and Opinionated. Um, of course, this was the Edwin Meyer, the host of all time. Y'all already know next week it's going to be all about Thanksgiving. So we're asking you guys again to tune in at 7 p.m. on YouTube and Facebook. Um, we love you all. And we say, Lisa, everybody, bye. bye. Have a good cool evening. Thank you so much. Bye.